So, Berto, there's a new Star Trek movie coming out soon. Whoop! It's the third of the reboot series. Have Is it you, already the third? Yeah. Have you seen the other ones? I have, yes. Do you like them? Yeah. I love them. The, yeah. the, the first one that came out, the J.J. Abrams, the first one, I was blown away. It was really fun. Yeah. And there was a lot of skepticism, I think, going into it. Yeah. But um, I liked it. I I also didn't have as much writing on it, like compared to Star Wars, for example. Yeah. Meaning, I didn't have a lot of holy cows mm-hmm. that they couldn't they couldn't sacrifice. Uh, but even that, I did like the the story, the action, the characters. They seems like the casting was great. Yeah. 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 The story was great. It's I guess it's similar to the J.J. Abrams Star Wars reboot. Yeah. Not, not reboot, but. Yeah. You know, new installment in that he was, he's a nerd boy and a fanboy, and he right. he stayed true to the original uh, essence while updating it for modern audiences right. in this, I think, you know, very well-designed integration, plus lots of lens flares. You can never go wrong <laughs> with too many lens flares. So today I want to talk about the psychology of Star Trek and hear what you have to say. I grew up with Star Trek, so I consider myself both a Star Wars fan and a Trekkie. Uh-huh. I'm one of those rare individuals that... Did you watch all the series, all the different spinoffs and well, things? Well, we can get into that okay. in a second, but this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I do blind taste tests at malls. So I watched the original series. I'm 45, so when I was a kid, there were only three or four channels. You had ABC, <laughs> NBC, CBS. You had PBS, which almost had nothing on it except for Sesame Street for me, and then it had like Masterpiece Theater and a bunch of other stupid old right. people stuff. <laughs> And then you had Channel uh, 11, which was KCPQ, which was, I don't know what that would be now. Was it KCPQ? Anyway, it had the, re- the, the Channel 11 had all the reruns, I think. And it would have, you know, like Bewitched and Hogan's Heroes. And yeah. it would also have Star Trek episodes. It just seemed like it was always on. And, you know, it could have been good or bad. I would have watched it anyway. Because I, I was watching My Three Sons. And, yeah. There and, weren't a lot of options. So it's like... And TV, it's like moving pictures, whoa. Right. And so, you know, we're talking 1978 at this point. And also, I was super into sci-fi because it was the sci-fi explosion after Star Wars in 77. What was the name of that one with the submarine and the little puppets? Uh, Sequest or? I don't know. Do you know what show I'm talking about? No. Oh man, it had it had the little puppets that like the Team America style puppets. Really? Yeah, and they were all in this like futuristic submarine, and they would do these missions underwater. And is this a Columbia thing? No, no. Well, you had Battlestar Galactica. You had Star Blazers, which was amazing. I, as a kid, would wake up without an alarm clock at seven a.m. And turn over, and so I so uh, backing up. I got sick as a kid. You know, you always get sick, yeah, right? Yeah. The flu or something. And as a bonus to making me feel better, my parents let me have the extra TV. We we had two TVs in the house. We had the living room color TV, 
which was probably like 17 inches, you know, across or something. Wow. And then we had a, a 13 or a 10 inch black and white television tube, right. you know, with antenna ears. And because I was sick, they let me have it in my room so I could lay in bed and watch TV. And, and after I became well, I just forgot to tell everyone that <laughs> the extra TV was in my room. I had, you know, three siblings and we had dogs and cats. And so <laughs> it was pretty easy to be forgotten. In the, I was middle child, so too. So you kept the TV. That's so I kept the TV for I don't know how long. And I remember at 7 a.m. I would wake up, turn over. Star Blazers would be on. I just remember I, my brain would just go, Star Blazers is on. Boom, I'd wake up, turn on, watch a half an hour of Star Blazers, and then I'd walk to school. In the uh, snow, uphill both ways, by the way. By the way, this is the picture of the show I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I've seen that pictures seem familiar? of that. It th- does look like Team America. <laughs> it does, totally. Yeah. I've never watched the show. S- uh, Space 1999. Do you remember that show? No. What oh, that? that was probably a little... You're a little bit younger than me. It's probably a bit before your time, but that show was on Martin Landau, I think. And it was, <sighs> it was like a really cool show. It was it was a Wait it was this there was a space station on the moon I think, and then something yeah. something happened and the moon and the space station were flung into the galaxy, <laughs> and it had this really cool spaceship that I got for my birthday or Christmas or something. Oh my god! And okay, so I didn't watch that regularly, but as soon as you said Martin Landau in space, I was like, wait a minute! Yeah, I, I must have seen like an episode or two or something because. The memory instantly shot back. Yeah, I think it was kind of like Star Trek in that yeah. it was it was trying to be true to what might actually happen in the future, and then Space Ghost, the the cartoon. Right. Anyway, so yeah, I, I watched a lot of Star Trek and the the original series, and then when Next Generation came out, I was in college. It was around in late high school, early college. And I loved that show. Just, just right. loved it. For the time, it was one of the best TV shows around. Compared to TV now, it's shit, really. Just <laughs> let's just be frank. I mean, there are some episodes that are great and some storylines. Well, TV are, now is like amazing movies, right? But back then, you, you just have to understand that there was there every. I mean, it was up against like uh, stuff like Full House and. Right. And Saved by the Bell. I mean, (laughs) millions... I mean, when Saved by the Bell was on TV... 75% 75% of homes were watching that. It, was, yeah. it wasn't an irony thing. To, it wasn't ironic. No, People no. Wa- actually tuned in. The, so Next Generation was a step above that. So therefore, yeah. it was amazing at the time. And John Can you imagine Picard, like today, like a Game of Thrones episode plays, and then yeah. <laughs> Star Trek episode. God, speaking of, are you watching? Are you up to oh, date? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're up to date. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. We talked about it. Well, and then did you watch Sunday? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was dying when certain people got stabbed. Oh, my God. Well, God. well spoiler alert. She's got to come back. I mean, Well, yeah. I mean, she, she's clear. Look, if they brought back the spoiler alert, hound. Yeah. Right. Certainly. Right. <laughs> and that whole thing was a little confusing. Anyway, we won't go down that road. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> this turns into a Game of Thrones. So then D- Deep Space Nine comes out <laughs> and... I didn't have cable or even probably TV in the mid nineties, and wait, so wait, wait, which was that? Is that the one with number six or six of nine or twenty of? No, nine, that's 11? that's Voyager. Okay. Uh, so Deep Space, Space Nine isn't was in between there. That's the one with Odo and and the Black Captain. 
okay. and the uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe. So it. the female the f- captain was Voyager. Yes, and okay. and six of nine right was yeah. Voyager right. Number six. She's a. She's a. Turns out she's a robot. She, yeah, no, <laughs> you're thinking of the other ones, show. But anyway, so when that came out, I couldn't really watch it. But then later, uh, like as it was rerunning, I discovered it because again, nothing was nothing. I didn't have cable, and it was the only thing on TV. And so I fell in love with Deep Space Nine. It's it's actually pro- out of all the series, it's my favorite. Deep oh, really? Space. Yeah. It, it's it has a, once it gets going. And it finds its rhythm. It 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 is sort of a pre- precursor to TV now, which is uh, each episode builds upon a, a much larger story. Oh, you know, the next generation for the most part, each episode is isolated. Yeah, a story. they had recu- re- recurring themes and characters, but yeah. it certainly wasn't a one overarching right. Yeah. Whereas with like Battlestar Galactica or The Sopranos or Game of Thrones or really any of the great shows or today, Riptide, you could you could never. <laughs> that was another show I loved. <laughs> I loved that show when I was a kid. Did you like that show? Yeah, I loved it, man. With the little nerd guy, yeah, and the robot, and then in the intro, they always backed like the the nerd guy's trying to drive, and he turns around, and instead of backing up, he goes forward with the car. Yeah. <laughs> And that helicopter, yeah, with a, like a smiley face. Those on guys it. were so cool. Nick so, and Cody. Oh, I don't remember. That was <laughs> too long ago for me. But uh, so yeah, Deep Space Nine was I thought great. And then when Voyager came out, I was like, oh great, a brand new one. And then I just I, I watched it for a little bit, and then I just lost interest. I understand it's good, and it also has an interesting storyline. But Janeway annoyed me. You know me, I'm a massive feminist, so I really wanted to, you know, love a woman captain, but she just... Do you know what I mean? I didn't watch it. Oh. Because she, she has a very particular acting style. Oh, I see. That is... Stylized is the word for it. Do you know who annoyed me for the longest time was the president in Battlestar Galactica? Really? Yeah. She kind of has a particular way of acting. Yeah. Because yeah. you know what it is? She always seems like she's got a little smile, like almost a little bit of a smile. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this is not a smiling scene. Yeah. And it's like, that's just her face, but I'm like pissed off at her. <laughs> I liked her. I liked, but I could see. Eventually, I, I, eventually I grew to like her. Yeah. And then Enterprise came out and, and it was a going, it was a prequel to to the what it was a prequel to the next to the original series so there it was, was an enterprise it was a young a young cap the first captain of the enterprise like before kirk before kirk yeah and it was they they hadn't met the the vulcans they hadn't met anyone yet, or they just met the vulcans or something anyway and what was this enterprise uh, it was after Voyager. Okay. And, oh, by the way, let me just say uh, a little caveat here. If we make a random mistake about the details about Star Trek, keep it to your fucking selves. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. The point of this episode is to have a silly conversation about the psychological implications of Star Trek and for you and me, Umberto, just to randomly talk yeah. about the show. The point of the show is not to catalog the precise details of the show. So if you feel like nitpicking on a detail, fuck off and keep it to yourself. Plus, why would you listen intently to something for an hour 
and just then to point all- <laughs> just to point out one tiny little thing that we got wrong. So I'm mainly upset because of the bulk of the comments on our Psychology of Harry Potter episode, which I thought was amazing and super fun to do. It was fun to do. The majority Did we get the- a lot of bad comments about the details? The majority of the comments on YouTube were blasting about one tiny detail in the trivia section that someone got wrong. What was that one? It was like a, you know, it was someone's Patronus was, you know, someone was wrong about it. I asked you guys, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally like 50 different questions. Wasn't it like an otter and someone said a rabbit or something? Something like that. (laughs) I don't even want to, I don't even want (laughs) to, I don't even want to like acknowledge the bullshit that people are saying online. And I just have to say like, Look, you know, if if that's all you if if you listen to the show and you're entertained and you know or it passes the time or whatever it gives you and then the one thing you decide to email us about instead of like love the show, you know, I thought that point was interesting. That point I didn't agree with and here's my point about that. Or actually it, even even hey, I didn't like this show. Here's a whole bunch of reasons why. Yeah. As opposed to like you said the word wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, again, I think the Harry Potter episode was an hour and a half, two hours. I don't know. It was really long. And the amount of stuff we talked about and the roads we went down. So anyway, back to uh, Enterprise. And Enterprise came out. It had a lot of promise. I loved the first couple episodes. And then I quickly started to hate the show. And I think there's going to be another TV series coming I out. I did hear that. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, all the movies. I saw right. the original Star Trek, the first, you know, one. The first. Do you, do you know I've never watched that original Star Trek movie? You should never watch it. It, <laughs> it I mean, it, it's interesting. It's interesting culturally because it's 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 of its time. It's it's, it's got Doctor Kirk in it, right? It's from uh, I think eighty. I believe I I know I went to it for my birthday party. And it must have been my ninth birthday or eighth birthday. And I went with one of my friends and a friend you actually met before. Uh And we bought huge Hershey bars uh, each. Each, You know, my mom gave us money and just sent us in and we watched. Mm -hmm. And we ate the entire Hershey bar before the movie started. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned this. Because the line was so long, right? No, we just were sitting, you know, during the previews and just torqued it down. Oh, wow. And then we got really sick. And then anyway, but the, but the movie is, is it's, they're sort of trying to be like 2001 anyway. And then two comes out, Wrath of Khan. That was great. Was amazing. And, and that one had Lieutenant McAvoy, the engineer. And totally redeemed, you know, the future. If, if Wrath of Khan was terrible, my, I would, I would guess that, they never would have revised Star Trek ever again because it was at that. I mean, at that point, you just had the original series, which was kind of quirky, and then you had the first movie, and that was a flop. Anyway, the point is, is that I've seen every movie by you know I've seen every Star Trek movie, even five, the one that Shatner directed. And uh, I enjoy all of it. Is the five the quest for peace? Five is the one the where they meet country. Is where they meet God. That's the undiscovered. Co- no, no, that's the final frontier. I don't know what it's called, but it's the one that Shatner directed, and they they meet God. Y- you know the the 
theory that all the odd numbered Star Trek movies are terrible. So one is terrible. Two is awesome. Three was not so good. The quest for the search for Spock or something. Yeah, it's it has I think Klingons in it. Four is one of my favorites. It's the one where they come back in time and they go to eighties yes. San Francisco <laughs> and they have the the see through aluminum and Spock has all these just classic. Is that the lines. one with the? Oh no, the whales is that's whales. That's four. That's four. Okay, five is they meet God. I think at the center of the. Galaxy. I think that one's called the Final Frontier. I don't know, but and six was was pretty good. And that's the undiscovered country. Yeah. Okay. And then and then seven. I thought seven was okay. Eight was better. Wait, I, seven the the Borg the. I'm, there's like the Generations one, which I liked, and then there was First Contact, which I liked. Nemesis was pretty good. Anyway, and then they did the reboot. Anyway, the point is, is I want to ask you, you were in Columbia as a kid. That's right. Did you watch Star Trek there? So you know you were saying how there were like four, five, maybe six channels. In Columbia, we had three channels. <laughs> we had the Channel A, <laughs> we had Channel B, and we had the public access channel <laughs> not c it's not c so it was like i think on the dial it was if i don't if i'm not wrong it was one two and eleven <laughs> i think that's what canal uno canal dos y canal once <laughs> and the un, once was the public access hmm. and you know there's all local shows everything in black and white and stuff like that or at least actually i don't know because we had a black and white tv back then so maybe it was so we're talking around 1980 at this point. Yeah. Whoa, this, is, this must be what the future is like, you know? Um, and it felt more legit than Star Wars, even though, of course, I loved Star Wars with all my heart. I kind of knew, well, first of all, Star Wars, if it took place, it took place in the past, right? And also, well, I guess it didn't really take place, even though I'm sure I have the Force power. But Star Trek felt kind of more legit, like, oh, this is real science, I bet you NASA knows about this stuff. Right. So it that was, was, you know. <laughs> it was attempting to be a legitimate totally. future. And what I always loved about it was they set it far in the future, far enough, yeah. far enough to uh, make it so that it's actually possible that we could be there at that point. In the 23rd century, Yep, it seems... It's definitely possible. And this was at a time when they were making, you know, TV shows, movies, books about 1984, <laughs> in which there were just massive leaps. Do you in, remember in class of 1984 with the no. punks in the high school beating up the teacher? No, but, but there were, you know, they would set things in the year 1999. <laughs> When time travel is ubiquitous <laughs> and hoverboards are everywhere. You know, they said it in the year 2250 or they something. covered their ass, that's for sure. Yeah, and the, you know, the reason why writers will set it just 10 years in the future is because they want to make it more relevant right, to you. Right. And Gene Roddenberry, in his intelligence, was like, we're not going to be here in 10 years. That's silly. Right. We have to set it this... And I'm sure people were like, well, let's set it just a little for... You know, Space 1999, sure. for sure, instance. Sure. You know, you know, let's just set a little bit. And so he's like, no, it's... I don't know if this conversation happened, but since it's really one of the only shows that actually sets it that yeah. far, I'm guessing no, someone... I'm, I'm sure someone at the network was like, come on, guys. 
I know the book, whatever. Let's come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Was there a book? No. Or did he just write the show? No, he just wrote it. Okay, fine. So even more pressure, because yeah. then they didn't have a book to follow. It's yeah. like Gene Roddenberry was a writer for TV uh-huh. and had written other things and had started this idea of this of this Star Trek or you know sci-fi yeah. show for a while and got it off the ground. Well, there, there were two things as a kid that felt real to me that were that were fictional. Mm-hmm. One of them was Star Trek. The other one was The Dark Crystal. Not the movie, but the book. Uh-huh. I didn't actually see the movie for many years after. but Because um, it just felt so well written and stuff. But So whenever I watched Star Trek, I would also get a little scared. Uh-huh. Because they were always, there was always a very crisis kind of thing happening. Yeah. And no one was ever like... Laughing and smiling. It wasn't like the love boat, you know? Yeah. Every day, like the episode started very, you know, with the little sounds, like the little almost submarine pings yeah. and things. And it's like, it's a start date, such and such. Today, I don't know if I'll live or die or something like yeah. really ominous. And then they encounter some blob in the screen and everyone's really serious and everyone looks to Captain Curdy and he's like, what am I going to do? You know, yeah. with that voice that he had. Yeah. I'm, I'm throwing enough things for people to hate on me. What am I going <laughs> to do? No, but seriously, and then and then like the interplay between because uh, you know Captain Kirk's like the it, like the yeah. Uh, well, sorry, let's get into it. that in a second. Before we do that, okay. I just want to wrap up a little th- couple other little bits of my life. I had a life size Captain Kirk on the inside of my door of my wow. of my bedroom. <laughs> uh, that that's one thing. I also had a couple action figures. Oh, man, I didn't know... Like, I never saw Star Trek toys when I was a kid. Yeah. A big memory for me as a child was really wanting the Enterprise bridge with the action figures. They They sold that? Yeah, they had it. And I, of course, wasn't... You know, I didn't get it because I wasn't a spoiled only child like you were. (laughs) So, and I also remember at Salmon Days, we've been to Salmon Days at Issaquah. I grew up near Issaquah. So as a kid, I remember my parents dropped me off at the at the fire station to be with the other kids, and we watched an episode of Star Trek called The City on the Edge of Forever. And it's a, oh, yeah. supposed to be like the best Star Trek episode and one of the best TV episodes of all time. It is good. Yeah, and, and I remember that very, very uh, plainly. Okay, trivia. So, how many seasons of the original uh, series was there? How many seasons? What do you think? Um, two. Three. Three. I'm surprised you said two, because most people think, oh, there must have been like ten seasons. I, I, I only know this because years and years later, probably like five years ago, I was surprised during like some trivia thing, because yeah. I remembered it as like tons of episodes. Right. Yeah. And 79, only 79 episodes. And do you know what years they were Which actually. From? 79 episodes for three seasons. Yeah. It's a lot of episodes. Right. But I think back then, that's what they did. No, they were an hour long. What years do you think it was on for? What years? The original run? Yeah. What did it start? 68 to 71. Oh, pretty close. 66 to 69. Okay. Gene Ronberry. Okay, next question. Who said, beam me up, Scotty? Beam me up, Scotty. Who said that? No one. Ooh, that's good. You you know your stuff. No one ever said that on the show. That was never Except, uttered. Except um, Humphrey Bogart in in uh, uh, Tampa Casino. That's right. 
where did Spock's salute come from? You know, where he holds up his his hand like this. You can't see this in podcast land. Uh, the little V-shaped, uh, yeah, live says, long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Yeah. Oh, what's the, like the thing? Yeah. Where uh, did it, you know, it, was, it came from somewhere. And so where did it come from? Who, it who? is a Native American thing. No, it's a Jewish thing. Oh. Spock is Jewish, as is Shatner. And Spock remembers this hand signal as a child. It was, it's a signal. Did he come up with it? No, it's a signal. It's a, it's a hand signal for God or something I, I read. Well, what I mean is, did Spock? Yeah, so Spock introduced it. it in? Yeah, he okay. suggested it. Yeah. Le- Leonard Nimoy? Yeah, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy. Who, who recently passed away. What did the shirt colors mean? You know, you had you had the gold yeah, shirt, yeah, like you had the red shirt. Gold mean, was the captain. Okay. And but, the, well, not just the captain, but... Were there more? Yeah, well, what's the broader... Executive... Oh, no, because Spock had a blue. Yeah. Okay, so like the... the, the I think uh, McCoy and Spock had blue. Yeah. Scotty had uh, like a... He had red. Red, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Uhura had like that little dress. I think it was a blue dress, a little short, little skirt. Was it blue or red? I think it was red. I, was it always red? Yeah, she was red. Okay. Anyway, it's command. Gold is command. Oh, and okay. which, which for some reason includes, you know, the captain, of course, but also includes navigation and weaponry. Oh, interesting. So that, I never knew that. So there were other, other gold shirts in the show? Yeah. I didn't remember that. And red is operations, which is engineering, security. And death. It, well, security, yeah, ship services, and, and communications. Blue is is all the sciences. I see. Which is interesting. That's, That's interesting cool. that you'd have a color just for the yeah. sciences, which is, again, tells you of Gene Roddenberry's emphasis on science in the show. What actor or actress was having an affair with Gene Roddenberry when he created the show? Which actress or actor? Um, uh, William Shatner. <laughs> nope. Uh, take another guess. <laughs> well, I don't know the names of the females. Well, any of the any of the characters. Oh, okay. Uhura. Yep. Really? Yep. What? And any other? It, and he was actually having an affair with another woman. Who do you think that was? Shut up. Uh, on the show. Shut up. No. Um, I'm not going to shut up. It's my show. You can't make me. <laughs> I don't know. Nurse, I don't know any other. Nurse Chapel. Nurse Racket. Nurse Chapel. Uh, so Uhura, Nur- uh, Nichelle Nichols, and Majel Barrett. So little Gene Barrett, was rottening his berries. With, huh? with two women uh, while he was married, by the way. And he wrote those characters for these two mistresses. Ah, uh, well, takes all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> Which actor lived near Seattle after the show? Oh, I know this. I know this. I actually saw him in, in Bell Square one I time. I know this. And I was like, oh um, my God, it's blah, blah, blah. Scotty. Yep, you're right. James Doohan, he lived in Redmond. He died in 05, and some of his ashes were flown into space. Wow. Which of the original three characters wore high heel shoes to appear taller? Which of the three main characters on the original series wore high heel shoes to appear taller? Uh, McCoy? Nope, Shatner. Shatner. What famous civil rights activist praised the show for something I'll tell you in a second? What, oh. what famous civil rights activist praised the show? Who do you think? I mean, MLK? Yep, MLK. He told Uhura 
uh, or Nichelle Nichols, how important it was for her to keep playing the role since it was so rare to see a positive portrayal of a black character on television. Did he know that she was on because she was an affair? No. (laughs) (laughs) But he might have been cool with that because he was... token black... Well, he was... uh, MLK was prone to... Engineer. To his own... Oh, was he? Oh, yeah. Whoa, we're just defaming all sorts of famous people. Yeah, MLK had affairs... Huh. It's well so did known. Einstein. So yeah, what actor lost or lost his or her middle finger in World War II? What actor <laughs> lost their middle finger in, in World War II? Middle finger. Well, it must be Spock. Nope, it's James Doohan, Scotty. Lost, I, I, he lost why. his right middle finger during World War II, and most of the scenes are shot to hide that fact. I think they should have written that in, like in the first episode. Right. He should have had a prosthetic and then like, uh, you know, a Klingon like yeah. bites it off. And then for yeah. the rest of the time, he always like... That would have been epic. Yeah. But I thought it was Spock because that's, you know, we always thought he was doing a little weird hand signal. Yeah. Instead, he was missing his middle finger. He was just trying to high five you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're misinterpreting it. Whose appearance was modeled after the Beatles? Which character was modeled after the Beatles? Who oh, uh, Chekhov. Yep. They actually brought him on the show later on because the upper you know the management was like you got to appeal to kids (laughs) and it's also rumored that roddenberry heard that russians were angry that there was no russian person (laughs) oh and by by the way isn't it funny how whenever back then they were trying to introduce a beatles element into a thing it was only that narrow narrow time of their first rise where they had the little mop tops right because they didn't before, they didn't after. Yeah. It was like a year of mop tops. Yeah. And then from there on, it was like, if you wanted to emulate Beatles or do a Beatles-like thing, mop top. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Chekhov was brought on in 67. By then... By then, they were way past... The, the mop tops, right. <laughs> Why did Kirk's uniform become green later in the show? Why did it become... Because he got promoted to Admiral. No. Oh. It also... I don't know. Have you, have you seen his different uniforms? Uh, I mean, I remember him having different shirts. Yeah. Do you oh, know did why? Oh, he get fat? Yeah. <laughs> and he, the green would hide it? Yes. No way! Yeah. So <laughs> the, the green slimming? Well, the green one that he had was, it had this like wraparound thing. Oh I don't, my God. It was almost like a, like a robe. You know? Oh, yeah. I remember that. And it it was designed, and I think he wore a girdle a lot too. Oh, wow. What was the nickname Bones short for? What what what's the what's bones short for? It's actually used in the real world. So um, so what's it short? Well, for? Well, I thought it was related to like the war and like surgery and stuff like that. Yeah, what's it short for though? What do you think? Cutting my bones. Close. <laughs> A bone cutter. Sawbones. Sawbones. Okay. So there were apparently Navy doctors that were nicknamed Sawbones because they sawed sawed a lot of bones. All right. So let's get into analyzing Star Trek here. Star Trek is very much known for how much it was a morality story line or, you know, the, the the episodes were very much comments on morality. Yeah, there were always these impossible choices. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, do we kill off this species or save this planet? Yeah. You know? Right. 
Now, we could, what do you think? Do you think there was less racism? Do you think it, it furthered our, you know, civil rights movement at the time? What do you think? Um, I have to feel like at least subconsciously it must have had some effect because like the dialogue in the show and the core thrust of it was look in the future, look at all these people intermixed in the same vessel and encountering aliens. And instead of just destroying everyone they see, they try to do things in a more civil manner. And I, I just think that it would have had to have an effect at least in the younger generation. Right. At the time in the 60s... Positive. The uh, situation in the United States was such that we were mortal enemies of the Ruskies, mm-hmm. and there was a Russian on the on the ship. We just got out of a massively horrible war with Japan, yep. and Sulu was right there on the ship. We had a, a black woman as uh, an officer on the bridge. That's right. We had uh, all sorts of things like that, and so... Sexism and racism was were both uh, addressed as long as the the white male was still in charge. Right. So <laughs> that's the important thing is we still have white aside from Spock, which you can't really, but he's kind of a in my view he's kind of a version of a of a white person. But at the very least, you have a lot of Kirk and a lot of bones, you know, in in the show. I always thought Spock as a kid. I thought he was an elf. An elf? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he did have pointy ears. So there were there was less racism and less sexism, but there was still racism and still sexism. There was, a, there was still a, a stratification. Yeah. But certainly advanced right. for its time. Right. The, the thing that I think of sometimes when I think of stuff like this is at the time of the founding of the United States, only 5% of the people who live you know of the of the people who lived in in the united states the 13 colonies could actually vote yeah but and, and you just think it's like what kind of democracy is that what kind of yeah. republic that's terrible that's that's an elitist terrible thing but compared to the rest of the world it was by far right. the the and- the highest percentage of voting people Around and, and and even the concept of voting was still recent, <laughs> right? And so, you just have to put it into context. In the '60s, to, for instance, have a black woman and a white man kissing. Right. This was the very first interracial kiss. Oh, it was. Yeah, on wow. t- on television. Now, it, the storyline in the TV, they had to make it involuntary. They were oh. mind controlled. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, to kiss for the entertainment of someone who could control their minds, you know. But at the but it was Still. it was a very they lingered on that kiss for a while and it was shocking. Who, and wait, it, who was it? Uhura and Uhura and Kirk. And Kirk, okay. And it's bizarre for me just to think about that because now what's the big deal, right? <laughs> Although, well, no, but then it became about gay kisses, remember? Yeah. Remember right. like, the, the first gay kiss on the TV show or something? Right. What's next, do you think? The, oh. the first trans person Maybe. Kissing? Yeah. I, it seems like it's hard. Are we done with kisses explorations? <laughs> I hope not. So my favorite character was the, the Hispanic guy. Uh, you never saw him because he was down in the kitchens, but he was awesome. <laughs> Was there ever a Latino guy? 
I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Has there ever been a Latino guy on any of the series? I, I hope so. I, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, in the future, let's be honest, in the future, there's no Latinos, so. Right. Wait Cle- a clearly, second. Clearly, the trend in the U.S. is less and less Hispanics, right? Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, I can't think of any Latino character ever. That's funny and tragic and horrible. Uh, also, other episodes like The Enemy Within where Kirk has a transporter oh, accident yeah. and he gets split into yes. good Kirk, bad Kirk. <laughs> and aggressive Kirk is a good leader, but he's also very aggressive, like overly aggressive yeah. and like kind of rapey, I think, as mm-hmm. well. But then compassionate, nice Kirk is a terrible leader because he can't make a decision in a crisis. And the moral of the story is we need both our our aggressive, angry, uh, rapey side (laughs) and our compassionate, passive side. And together, those things create a a good leader. What do you think about that supposition? (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, okay. I mean, it is. I think it is evidenced in a lot of the real world, um, for better or for worse. Uh, I do think that leaders uh, end up being people that can exert their opinion and their authority over others. And there are sometimes examples of leaders that do that in a very mild-mannered, laid-back way or pacifist way. But but the majority seem to be of the other kind. So I don't I don't know if it's the combination or it's more that we see both types of leaders in the real world. And well, so- it's a I I think it's BS. One I I think it upholds the the sexist paradigm and the notion that aggression is good and it, there's plenty of evidence that demonstrates that you do not need to be aggressive or masculine to be effective as a leader. But that's essentially what this is saying. You can be compassionate, not aggressive, and be an absolutely a good leader. Well, and, I guess maybe like Picard was a great example of that, right? Yeah, right. He he didn't have an aggressive... I mean, he, it took a lot to push him to aggression. Yeah, and when he did, it was like, all right, well, as we warned you, you know... right. Yeah. I mean, you have to take action and you can't just let bad things happen to you, but that's not aggression, that's logic or yeah. that could be even compassion for your for your teammates or that's even right. compassion for just society in general or something. This idea that you need to have an element of essentially like antisocial or psychopathy in you and selfishness is I think irresponsible and and I loved that episode at the time because it was just so thoughtful and as you know just thought provoking but uh, as an adult I just think it justifies asshole leaders it's funny because if you think about the Godfather series um, the first Godfather we see Marlon Brando he is certainly seen well he's portrayed as a good mafia leader but he's you know not like a madman aggressive rapey type right it's like okay Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make you an offer that you can't refuse. That's my best Marlon Brando. Mm. But um, as you see the progression, first of all... sounded a bit like Bill Clinton, actually. Hey, come on. I'll make you an offer. <laughs> then he gets extinct. 
And then his son has to learn how to go from like the nice passive kid to like, okay, I'm going to close the door and be an, be an asshole. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the mafia, yeah. right? You have to, that the rules of the game are such that if you kill all of your rivals, then now you have more power. Like Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, in the past, aggression was probably very helpful. And today, I just think it's less helpful. I disagree. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm cool with you disagreeing. <laughs> so, also, we have the prime directive. What is the prime directive in a nutshell, Bert? That's basically anytime they go to a restaurant, they're, the kitchen is directed to serve them prime cuts of the, the grass-fed beef. Right. In a nutshell, that's what it is. More broadly, it's the directive for the Federation that when they encounter other civilizations on other worlds, that they cannot take actions that will alter their their course. That's right. They're supposed to leave civilizations untouched. And uh, even even if it means that bad things are going to happen to those societies. Yeah. Like the volcano is going to blow up. Right. I know, I know. Like the last Star Trek That's right. movie, they were on a planet and a, a volcano was going to annihilate a, a primitive civilization. And they decided to break the prime directive and, and use science to turn off the volcano. But in the and what they were hoping to do was to do it secretly so that the the civilization wouldn't know. But then they saw the enterprise, right. and and now they started to worship the enterprise. And I I wonder if they're going to bring that, that back. That seems like because they 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 lingered on the effect, the side effect. Right. I mean, they didn't show us the eventual side effect. Right. But given that in space time gets wonky and time dilates and contracts who knows but you could imagine that they encounter an enemy that it is the evolved version of these people yeah and now it's a problem <laughs> right maybe that's this next yeah. movie i don't know the what do you think of the previews the frontier pushes back this is what no what is it this is where the frontier pushes yeah. back um so the first preview was uh not well liked um and when i first saw it the main thing i didn't like about it was that it was like spelling out, hey, guys, if you like my other movies, <laughs> you know, like the Fast and the Furious, you will like this movie, you know. And and it was like, all right, I get it. But um, right. It's being directed by Lynn. Yeah. A Taiwanese born American kid. Yeah. Who has been working on the latter Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. In addition to a whole bunch of other things. Now, I love the Sabotage song, the Beastie Boys song. Yeah. But one of the complaints, and I agree with it, it's like the whole preview was around, centered around that song. It didn't feel very Star Trek. Yeah. It, it well, was, it, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it's looking, it's a, it's a little worrisome to have a fast and furious guy directing a Star Trek movie because... Star Trek fans want at least a semblance of respectability, and Fast right. and Furious has none of that. Right. And 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 it's like it's it's like 
inviting the meathead in. You know, he's not a meathead, but a meathead movie right. <laughs> into an intellectual movie. And to some extent, that the the downside, if you can criticize the the latest J.J. Abrams produced movies, is it doesn't have a ton of intellectualism the way yeah. that the past TV shows and movies did. And so to take it further into anti-intellectualism and, you know, special effects and crashes and from the previews, and I'm not spoiling anything because it's all over the previews is it looks like the enterprise crashes again. Yeah. And it's like, do you need to have the enterprise blow up in every, every yeah, it doesn't need to blow up every time. <laughs> Um, you so, might need a different design. <laughs> right. Or I don't know, like in the you know original movies and, and the TV show, for sure, the Enterprise, you know, it takes some damage, but and it looks like it just gets shredded in, in this in this movie. Yeah. And and then it looks like there's a lot of fist fighting and stuff. And although I, I'm confident that the actors can pull it off because I really yeah. like the interplay between these right. guys. And I think it'll be entertaining. Yeah. I just... Um, it could just be like like silly and... Yeah. Friv- it could be frivolous fun. Yeah. Well, one of the things in retrospect, because, you know, it was it was tempting to conclude from from J.J. Uh, Abrams and, and company that their shows were very intellectual at first because you would think when Lost first came out, it had that air about it, like, whoa, what a mystery, you know, what a elaborately weaved thing. But in the end, when you look at in retrospect, you're like, ah, right. it wasn't that intellectual. They, there was some mysterious things that they concocted, but that's about it. So in, yeah. in, in that sense, in, when you in, see in these my, movies... The way I would put it is each episode... I'm I'm not even joking. I am sure they the writers said, "How can we screw with the? I mean, not you know, uh, not in a mean way, but yeah, just how can we? Them. Yeah, how can we? What could we possibly put on the screen that would be interesting and just mind blowingly confusing and would cause people to wonder what that meant? And we'll figure it out later. And we'll figure <laughs> it out later. And then they 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 just stacked so many of these. I got it. Polar bear in the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Show the the little black boy with water and he's mumbling something and he can't talk. I, I got it. Let's have a bunch of symbols illuminate after a door slams on someone's legs at the end of, you know. Uh, I got it. Let's have let's have a series of numbers that the guy had on his lottery to like, just think of all the bullshit that they had that they walked us through. Anyway, so back to your well. So so therefore, now the second preview I think did a better job, but um, but I'm still thinking. Well, it's going to be fun, but I do believe we're moving away from maybe some of that original thing that some of us liked, um, even of the very original show, which was like this mystery and this yeah. kind of clever curiosity about the universe and um and kind of freudian i'm gonna get into that in a second but the original show had a pretty heavy freudian element in it a a lot of psychological pain and mind control and stuff and i'll get into that anyway so the prime directive it's basically responsible right and it's anti-colonialism at a time that you could say was 
at the height of American colonialism, right? We were colonizing Vietnam and Korea and essentially Europe and Africa and the Middle East, and, and we were taking over the world. And this show was like, hey, when you, when you encounter another group of people, don't screw with them. And also a time when we were moving into other ecosystems and introducing our own uh, elements, bringing our own things and planting them and just decimating an entire you know species of plants or animal or something. And so I like this principle of the show. However, it never really worked on the show, and they were constantly breaking it. <laughs> well, and, and actually, and you could kind of think that like, Okay, so how did I say this? On the one hand, we have the horrible thing that happened at the zoo the other day where the kid fell in and they had to shoot the gorilla dead. Yeah. And then that makes you wonder, why do we have zoos? Right. Because it's not to protect the animals. Okay, now it's become a little bit about like saving some endangered species. Certainly not the way it started. It was, hey, I don't live in Africa. Can Africa come to me? Right. Yes, sir. And it was horrible, right? It's horrible conditions and stuff. Now, now it's a little better. And, but so there's that extreme of you could imagine the if they didn't have something like a prime directive, it's like, okay, go and get some weird creatures from all these planets and we'll make an intergalactic zoo. Right. That's definitely where it would go, at least a lot of what it would happen. And in the process, introduce pathogens, decimate, like what you're saying. Now, the flip side of that is, hey, we can produce food, cure like almost every disease and you're telling me we're not going to help these little struggling people we don't have the time to spend like six months making sure that our pathogens won't or or whatever you know like figuring out the science behind it dropping a a a sterilized pod just with the you know i don't know right and instead like no no interference so i feel like it's an extreme and and because it is an extreme uh, it was always broken. <laughs> yeah. But now, maybe that was a good uh, motif for the show, though, which is like, can you live up to this extreme moral compass? Right. And it's an ethical question. Yeah. Because good intentions, the, the what, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Is, yeah. is that a saying? Yeah, yeah, something like that. And, yeah. It's the road to Morocco is paved with two actors that were trying to play it again, their career. Or play something. it again, Sam? Yeah. Also, on the show, Kirk, when he did break the Prime Directive, was often seen as the hero for doing so. Yeah, right? Like It's like, God damn it, someone's got to do something. Right. <laughs> and in the last Star Trek movie, yeah. similar kind of thing, you walk away saying, it was good that they did that. Yeah. And, oh, maybe there's a consequence down the line. Who knows? And the other thing is, is it portrays the great white savior the great white male savior right well it, it's the did you ever watch 24 no, uh yeah i watched the first season <laughs> so eventually it gets ridiculous because no one believes jack bauer even though he saved the world a billion times but if you think about the original premise is like the only guy that sees the truth and can possibly save everyone is jack bauer right and he's gonna break every rule and shoot people in the kneecaps but it's all worth it because the end's absolutely justify the means right. when it's Jack doing it, no one else. Right. And Kirk had a little bit of that. Right. And at a time in the 60s, white male privilege was at its height, maybe. And he just had that swagger to him. Now, can we say Star Trek 
should have completely gone against that and had a black lesbian w- woman who's disabled as a <laughs> as a captain of the show yes <laughs> you know we could say that would have been nice but it's the 60s and well it's the 2016s i still don't see a, right all those categories being represented exactly and to make a show you yeah. have to sell it to your audience which yeah. was primarily white back then i mean if, if we were speaking about fast and the furious right yeah the two main actors was a white guy with blue eyes and blonde hair and a white looking yeah sort of hispanicish guy hispanicish or what is he i don't know <laughs> so it's another white guy i think he's just a big white guy <laughs> okay vin, uh, vin diesel vin diesel yeah well he's always like i don't is know is he part black i don't know i don't, I don't know. know but my point is that those are the two and then they have all these other token Right. additions right there's one japanese guy and yeah. there's one a couple black guys and right hispanic which is you know a step in the right direction yeah but still it's always a white guy yeah but that's the point and it's yeah. 2016 right so it's, it's really hard today even to see the lead leads not be that right let alone in the 60s right in addition the storylines if you watch the show it's often if you if you just think of the context of the 60s and of white male privilege and of american privilege yeah. and uh how americans thought of themselves as superior to these savage races or stupid races or you know eastern europeans with their dumb things and the africans with their dumb things just you know american specialness you know what do they call it? american exceptionalism there's a lot of that kind of attitude that of federation exceptionalism, you know, we're always right. The other people are dumb. We know what's right. If you listen to us, things will go okay. And the old ways are bad. Our ways are good. You know, like it's always, we're right there. It's very, I can't think of any, the original series or even the other shows really, I'm sure there's one or two, but it's frequent that, the Federation, which is kind of like the United States, you know, it, it's, it's, or the Western world anyway. Right. We're right. You know, we have science, we have logic, we have reason, we have that we have, we've been through, we've been through those stupid steps of the developing countries. We are developed. You have to listen to us. You know what I mean? Yep. Also, uh, science was prominent on the show, which is really great. They had science officers. Spock was a you know main character, and they really promoted the idea of science. Whereas a movie like Star Wars, it was a lot of a lot of magic, the Force, and right. that's kind of thing. Let, let's let's before we get into, into more psychology stuff, I want to talk about Star Wars versus Star Trek. What do you think is a notable difference? regarding the psychology of Star Wars versus Star Trek. What do you think? Okay. So I feel like, um, although in Star Wars, you definitely see some teamwork here and there. Um, There's a lot more of an individualistic approach and a hero-centered storytelling. So, and again, Captain Kirk notwithstanding, it's in Star Trek, 
a lot of times like you just can't pull through without the whole team and someone's kind of giving the main orders but Spock's kind of a rogue in a sense and he's sometimes contradicting and adding his own wisdom and then you can't do it without the engineer down there you can and they're all in it together and one saving the other team 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 Star Wars that happens in specific moments but definitely a lot more about this one guy's journey and he's special and he's got the force right do you know the word for the Star Trek vibe regarding that? No. Collectivism, you've heard before? Oh, yeah. Collectivism. So, yeah. Star like Trek... Me, because you collect the toys. You collect the toys, whereas with Star Wars, like me, you had an individual toy. You just had a Luke Skywalker, while <laughs> your little brother collected <laughs> hundreds of them, seemingly. Uh, Star Trek was a much more collective and less individualistic mm-hmm. than Star Wars was. And when you when you think about it, it's it's very apparent, right? Yeah. You, you immediately came up with that. Yeah. And it's just like, oh yeah, Star, Star Trek is about the team, and Star Wars is mostly about individual heroes. And I think that's interesting to note. Yeah. And also how... Well, it was is would you say Fast and the Furious is a team effort? I would say later on it became more of a team. So the, the, to me, the perennial and probably best example ever of a collectivist team show was the original Mission Impossible. Really? Because if you watch those original episodes, it's very hard to say who the star of the show is. Interesting. And every episode... I guess Law and Order is kind of like that, too. Uh, yeah, I guess you could point that out, too, yeah. So, I guess you could point that out, yeah. and I guess I could agree with that. <laughs> no, but um, anyway, so but, but it, maybe it was a 70s thing? Yeah. Star Wars came out in the 70s, too, though. Yeah. But it was a movie, yeah. not a TV show. Well, I think there was a time, and maybe it's still happening now, where procedure was interesting or they started you know with dragnet yeah star trek kind of has a dragnet quality to it sometimes where they investigate and there's a lot they sit around tables and talk about mission impossible is like that and they have to describe what they're they kind of give you a little bit to get what they're doing yeah and then when you see it unfold you're like oh that's what those masks were for and that's what the syringe was for right perry mason was kind of like that it's interesting to think about the past and how that was cool and also at the time they had like cowboys and indian movies and stuff you know but uh and it's just funny to think now with all the special effects abilities that you have that they don't really have so much of that anymore, but maybe they do. And again, Law and Order might be that just that thing because I haven't watched Law and Order since the original series, like in the nineties. I'm guessing. Da-da! And from my memory, it's a lot of pro- it's a total procedural. Like you got the detectives, right. and then, then you got the prosecutor, and then the defense attorney, and then the judge, and then the the so and so. Yeah. Um, so Star Trek in its collective. Uh, collectivist ways. It's about humanity. It's about being a good citizen in the galaxy. It's not about, you know, avenging your father. It's about being responsible with your power. At least it 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 gives some thought to that, being responsible with power. Did they it, feel like they had to compete later when Spock gets killed? Uh, right. right. Uh, they were protectors of the oppressed. Star Wars is uh, to some extent about that, but but not really, you know. No, because the the Re- let's be clear about something: the rebels, the people in charge of the rebellion, they're the elite of a different part of the 
right. of the you know it's right. like she's a princess right they, and right in, in, in a lot of ways the rebellion are the rich elite people yeah yeah because because the um, stormtroopers are just like clones or poor people whatever right the, the, sure there's a few empire people but the rebels started from elite and the robots are all oppressed right <laughs> and uh, Star Trek is also about having a skill that you can add to the team. Oh, right. Having yeah. a specialty. I'm right. the communications person. I'm the science person. I'm the doctor. I'm the weapons guy. And also about knowing your place in that in that team. Yeah. And that, that's very important. Okay. And, and then to be fair to Star Wars, I guess what they... Or, you know, because it, it is a different format when you're doing a TV show and when you're doing a movie. Right. Just flat out. Yeah. So when you see the movies that came out for Star Trek, they started veering more in the... In the direction the hero. of heroes. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and just as a side note, ha- have you watched any of the original episodes, original series episodes recently? Of Star Trek? Yeah. Uh, not too long ago, like two years ago when I was watching Twilight Zone, I got interested all of a sudden in going and I watched what's the one with the people that are like kind of super blonde yeah. and they're all wearing those little gowns and... <laughs> You're I, describing about almost every ten, episode. Ten episodes. Oh my do, gosh. do you remember liking it? Well, I mean, because I just nostalgically, say, I guess. Because to me, as 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 I, I remember watching the original series, I think in my twenties and still really liking it. Now at forty five, maybe because I'm just too spoiled with too much other good TV. When I watch these episodes, I find myself getting bored and sometimes just a little confused about the writing. Again, you know, they were making a weekly show. This wasn't like Game of Thrones where they have all year to write for 10 episodes. They had to make a new episode every week and they only had the summers off. And so, you know, and from what I understand, like the writing was done right, you know, as on the fly, you know. Was it improvised? No. No, no, no. Just written on the fly. Yeah, I mean... They, it's not like Gene Roddenberry had like a hundred scripts fully developed when he headed into the making of the show, you know. He, I see. And so, would you, did you find it there? Oh, well, so I, I just have to admit that the original series, and I know people are going to hate me for saying this, it, it's, it's not actually very entertaining to watch anymore. What? <laughs> I loved it as a kid because what else was I going to watch? And I remember. Maybe it's maybe it's great when you're ten, but when I'm forty five, I'm just I'm watching some scenes and, and Kirk bugs me in a lot of ways. The way he, you know, Spock is Spock and Bones. I, I, they're the way they write those characters. I really love those characters, but sometimes the way Kirk acts, he's just so smug. Or maybe Shatner's acting. I don't know, but just so I don't know, just so arrogant and. <laughs> And um, I don't know. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's to me. I like them because I guess I did. I did like that he took charge of the of the situation. Yeah. Uh, but um, he was just so smug all the time. Well, I got to tell you, sometimes I got annoyed by Spock because as a kid, I'm oh, like, yeah. double smug. Why can't you just bend the rules a little bit? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I I gotta say, probably my favorite was um. 
but the doctor um, Bones McCoy McCoy yeah because well first of all my dad was was a doctor you know he's oh, a yeah. psychiatrist and stuff and so I, I kind of like gravitated towards like oh he's a doctor but also he seemed caught up in the middle of all this chaos and like he's just like the voice of reason you know yeah, yeah. like come on guys yeah <laughs> so I always kind of liked his character that's a okay so let's get into that the classic triad mm-hmm. of Kirk Spock and Bones mm-hmm. So you got Kirk, William Shatner, Captain James Tiberius Kirk. He represents, as you were saying earlier, the id. Id. Right? The Your pleasure centers, your aggression, your impulses, your animal nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's also kind of an ego uh, character as well in that he represents someone who has to make choices about what to do based on lots of different input, which is our our ego or ourself. Plus we identify with him a lot. So yeah. he's kind of a, the, the ego. He, as I said, is quite smug. He's always right. He's the leader and he's also a womanizer, which we haven't mentioned yet. Oh yeah. But true. he always got the green girl <laughs> and that was part of his, part of his character. By the way, that was another social statement. Yeah. Right. Travel to another country, have forget, sex. Forget interracial with black, like interracial racial. Like yeah. Inter. Interracial. <laughs> Interracial racial. <laughs> yeah. And then you got Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, who was a wonderful singer. If, you, if you've never heard him sing. Yeah, he's actually, he's actually a good singer. He represents what part, if, if we're going on the super ego, id, ego spectrum. Where it, it seems is, like, the, like the super ego, maybe? Right. He, he represents a, a kind of particular version of the super ego. It's almost like the... Maybe using a different model, like if you weren't using just those three, um, it would be the completely, like the mathematical part of the brain, right? Like right. The, I'm just doing math here, guys. No right. emotion. It's <laughs> sort of the part of the superego that is intellectual and also attempting to be non-emotional. Right. He, the character was extremely interesting, and I think it's always been. And they and they they keep coming back to this theme with Data, with other yeah. Vulcans on all the shows, with even Odo and Deep Space Nine. They keep coming back to this theme of emotionality. The, the the fact that you need emotions or you have emotions, and yet logic is so helpful. And if you can try to be logical. It can be. It can. It can really benefit so many different things. It can help your. It can make you smarter, almost. Even though you're, you think you're smarter because you're you're only seeing the facts, just the facts, right? But uh, you're missing the subtleties because you don't understand the emotional content. That right. certainly happened in a lot of moments, especially with data. But right, and he represents the modern movement of science to override emotion and religion and this kind of thing. Right. You know, it feels like blah, 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 but what does empirical science tell you? And this is, this has been a movement in Western society and around the world for, you know, a few hundred years. And Spock represents that as well. Spock also represents the, I believe, you, you know, one thing that people don't, even necessarily know is that America, particularly in the sixties was dominated by German Americans. We had two massive, horrible world wars that have been blamed on Germany, but which basically drove all the German Americans underground Mm -hmm. to hide the fact that, 
they were German instead of Schmidt. They're now Smiths or something, right? Right. And there was a time when the majority or the, the largest group, ethnic group in America were German Americans, which people don't know that, right? You think, right. oh, it's probably English Americans or just all the various different West, you know, no, Germans, massive amounts of Germans. And Germany is culturally known for its logic, you know, psychology to right. some extent emerged out of Germany and Austria and this intellectual ability and this systematic ability. The Nazis, just to point to that, were very systematic. They wore, you know, gray outfits because it blended into the background. Right. They wore helmets that didn't have adornments on it. It was just functional helmets. At a time, at the beginning of World War II and beginning of World War I, too, uh, particularly World War One, there was a lot of illogical warfare happening, right? It's like, well, we're going to ride off. There were ho- people on horses at the beginning of World War One, Right. And then you had Germans just mowing them down with machine guns because it's illogical to be on horses. <laughs> you know, it's more logical to, to use artillery and all these. Anyway, so uh, I'm not fully versed on the anthropology and the sociology of Germans, but I, I hope you understand what I'm getting at, in yep. that America was dominated in the 60s with a lot of people who were valuing, not just Germans, but other European Americans, frankly, valuing logic and downplaying irrationality and female emotions, right? If we're going to be men, we're going to be logical. But what is logic, really, right? I mean, what's when people say to me, I can't tell you how many times someone will say to me something like, you know, well, like clients of mine or students of mine will say, well, you know, so-and-so, I, I got in a fight with my spouse and it's just illogical for me, for my spouse to say these things to me. You know, she's not being rational. And, and I just say, you know, by what measure of logic do you have? Because it, it is logical, for instance, for your spouse to yell at you if you uh, inadvertently hurt their feelings earlier and they're upset, and so it's logical for them to express their feelings. So there's these labels of logic that be pla- that gets placed on things by, frankly, Western men, white men, that are basically just saying they don't like something, and therefore they're, they're calling it illogical. And I think Spock did that sometimes as well. Well, I've, I mean, I think I've fallen victim, or not victim. Um, I have been guilty of this many times in my life. Uh, when I, A lot of times, though, when I do it or when I have done it, it is um, because of a very narrow perception about uh, what logic means in human relationships, which is oftentimes, for better or for worse, not a lot. And so, for example, let's say you and I are having a discussion about something, and it turns out that, you know, there is a ring on the wooden table, and you're currently holding a cold beer, okay? And I'm like, Kirk, you put a ring on my wooden table. And you're like, dude, I didn't. I am very careful with that stuff. I never do. And so I'm like, well, that's, you're being illogical. Right. And why am I saying that? Well, because I'm using, quote unquote, well, I am using logic to say, we are in a room, you are holding a cold beverage. Right. The only things that can put a ring here right now in this context is that. But, but, but the fact is, well, A, there's still a billion other possibilities. Right. B, you 
have just told me something about yourself that I didn't know, which is that you you apparently are very careful. Now, see, it could have been you, right? But we still are not going to resolve it in this way, <laughs> right? That's a simple example, and but I think illuminating to uh, this the the real th- there's a thing called logic in philosophy, yeah. And there's also you could have a spectrum between logical and illogical, or something that holds up and something that doesn't hold up or something that's based on evidence and something that's not based on evidence, right? But you still, if, if you claim every, if you, well, anyway, I won't go into it, but anyway, it's the bones, the Forrest Kelly, Dr. Leonard H. McCoy. Uh, he, his, his role in the triad is often fighting with Spock because he thinks Spock is inhuman because he is and saying that Spock doesn't have any feelings and McCoy's like, you you know, you never enjoy life. Have a drink with me. And Spock is like, no, that's illogical. (laughs) I'm not going to have a drink. And Bones is also kind of old school and he kind of represents perhaps us today. He's he's an everyman, as you were saying. And he, to some extent, also kind of represents the id and the ego in in a similar way that, that Kirk does. But less impulsive. Less impulsive and maybe a little bit of superego as well in that he takes care of people. And he's very concerned about ramifications. Right. And and he's also perhaps the most feminine of the three characters because he takes care of people and he is a he's a fixer instead of a destroyer, you know. And he's also has more emotion like the way women are often portrayed and socialized. And so you have Kirk and Spock and Bones coming together. And as Bowen said, the triangle, the threesome, is the most stable of relationships because when there is conflict, there is always a third to diffuse that anxiety and conflict. And Are they you cert- saying that we should all be in threesome relationships? Yes. And Kirk, Spock, Bones, threesome, when Spock and Bones are fighting, then Kirk would come in and mediate. Or when Kirk and Spock were fighting, then Bones would come in. And so they had that written into the show. And also, we could look into the psychodynamic analysis. You know, who are the biggest fans, particularly in the past, of Star Trek? In, you know, we're talking 80s. Who, who, what, what demographic, what sort of person in America, was the most avid fan. Yeah, I mean, probably a, 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 a mostly a male sub teenager to teenager who was also into science or, or kind of sci fi stuff. Yeah, what else could you say about these people? Um, they probably they probably rolled a wizard more often. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and what else? Um, they were. Uh, Maybe, I mean, this is probably going to land me in trouble because they were probably a little more socially awkward. Right. <laughs> like like you and me to some extent. I was not a Trekkie. <laughs> I was the coolest Star, or Star Wars guy. <laughs> right. So when certain kids grow up, uh, they, you know, for probably reasons related to the way their family interacts... When they enter school, they're labeled as uncool and they aren't uh, treated as well as other kids are treated. And they're labeled nerds and, and all this kind of thing. And so these people develop a complex around 
being accepted and being liked and being powerful. They feel a little less powerful than that. They feel a little emasculated. And so they look, when we have complexes like that, we look to internalize something unconsciously because we're trying to possess their characteristics. A teenager is insecure, so they look to find a, a very secure person to internalize. Justin Bieber seems very secure. I'm going to internalize him into my psyche and possess his security and his talent and his fame, and then I will be confident and well-liked and all those things. It's a fantasy. It's a defensive mechanism against the pain, the internal pain of the reality that people don't like you. It's Ferris Bueller, Marty McFly. Right. So Kirk is a womanizer. He's in control. He's cool. He's respected. He's a captain of a ship. People have to follow his directions. He, He always knows what to say. And so, of course... These these kids who grew up, these boys, nerds, will turn to Star Trek as an example to internalize. Spock also, because a, a critical part of nerddom that I've I've never really heard articulated is the nerd characteristic of not controlling your emotions when you're in social situations. What do you mean? Yeah, so. I, the the thing because I'm victim of this at times. It's one of the things that I consider central to my nerd uh, sort of quality. Yeah, nerd nerddom is when, for instance, <laughs> when you and I did the episode about the Star Wars movie, Episode Seven. Yeah, we came home and we did an episode. I think the next day or something. Yeah, and we were high as a kite on Star Wars ah! fever. If you listen back to that episode, it's a, it's like a review. We're reviewing oh, <laughs> episode seven. I normally try to keep it together on the podcast, except when I'm telling trolls to fuck off. And in this episode, I am embarrassingly nerdy <laughs> and not controlling my emotions. Cool kids control themselves. They, you know, they'll say, yeah, that was good. That's but a cool movie, man. But they're not going to be like, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> it, was, it was so good. Oh my God, did you see? And then that one part, and then, you know, that's what nerds do. And so this is a, a critical, you know, this lack of the ability to kind of control your excitement is, is, actu- is, is very much a part of being a nerd, which causes you to be labeled a nerd. It, it it, it causes you to do things that gets you labeled as a nerd and categorized. Are you, are you saying that Steve McQueen doesn't gush like that? <laughs> oh my God. So I'm driving we this really... We escape from this place in my motorcycle, guys. I'm driving this really awesome car and all, all around the city. Okay, Spock has no emotion at all. He is cool as a cucumber. <laughs> but but he becomes uncool because, because he's lacking the little wink, you know. But with a combination of Spock, yes, right. the womanizer... I mean, with Kirk uh, and Spock, right. but but Spock has no emotion. He has eliminated it, and again, respected, second in command, able, smart. He always uh, knows things that other people don't know. He has, you know, he has that power and that edge, and he also has like physical abilities to like, 
you know, mind meld and the Vulcan death or the pass out pinch or what do they call it? <laughs> the pass out pinch. What do they call that again? It's called the neck brace. <laughs> uh, Vulcan, Vulcan death grip, sleep pinch. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, we're getting the kung eviscerated. fu, the kung fu grip. Can you not post this episode? <laughs> but uh, so when you are a nerd in in high school, middle school, and you feel like, God, why did I lose my cool yesterday? <laughs> and then you look at Spock and you defensively, because you're in pain internally and you have this complex around like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> and you look to Spock and you worship him and you try to internalize him. Data the same way. You try to take him in and he's like, if only I could be logical like Spock. I think I remember thinking that when I was a kid. If only I could be like Spock. Think how far I could go in the world. Right. Think how how much I could get done in the world if I just didn't have these pesky emotions. In <laughs> Another thing is is that people go through traumas all the time, big, oh, big, and small. Totally. And how nice would it be if we were Spock and could suppress all that pain? Yeah. And just eliminate it from our lives and just just be competent at our jobs and, and be be revered for our competence rather than suffering all day long. Right. And you know, actually it's interesting, like in Star Wars, you had this dynamic too between Yoda and, and Luke, where Yoda is like a Spock and with pointy ears, and Luke ends up kirking it out, you know? Because yeah. it's like you're watching, you're like, Oh yeah, look how relaxed he's floating the little the little spaceship so easily and stuff. And but he's like, Don't go to your friends. Yeah. There is no there is no spoon, you know. Yeah. And then Luke's like, No well, That's interesting. I didn't thought the Neo connection similar, you know, is yeah. you have to let go of reality, which is kind of like suppressing your emotions. So I want to talk a little bit about the Spock suppression of emotion. So let's say that you could actually eliminate emotion altogether. Happiness, yeah. sadness, uh, anger, anger, hate, hate uh, dis- fear. discomfort, fear. You could just really eliminate those things. Would you be like Spock or would you be something else? Well, well one quick question. Does he feel pain? Yeah. He, he can does. feel pain, but... But he wouldn't get angry about it. He would just so be like, is it oh, like a logical pain? Like I don't like, like that. Oh, my leg is getting severed. I need to move it right away. That's interesting. I think he will recognize his biological uh, impulse to do that. But I also think he actually has the ability, a Vulcan mindfulness meditation ability to overcome pain. But anyway, the reason I'm asking that is because so much of our human stress response is associated with the feelings that our brain experiences of physical pain, which is really fascinating because in the end, it's it's just a signal. It's just that the way we've evolved to process that signal is to, to kind of shut down a whole bunch of other mental processes right. and tell ourselves consciously that we are in torture, right? But somehow and to Spock be, and to or, motivate you to yeah, take like, action, go run, to protect whatever. yourself. Yeah. And so, but in Spock's case, um, maybe through physical pain or emotional pain or whatever, but he's able to just sit there and be like, uh, you know, you're like, you're a motherfucker. You know, your mom did this and that, <laughs> and he's just like, 
I don't understand. What? What is? How do you know anything about my mother? You know, the, like yeah. it's like he's just answering. You know, as if the words just have their direct. Well, oh, th- so there's another does question: he, Does he does he understand metaphors and he, is able to? He does ride through them. He does. I here here's here's what I think is there's clear evidence that all of the all of the so-called unemotional characters on the show, including Data, have actual emotions, but they're just acting in a particular way regarding their emotions. If you're if you have no emotions, why would you get up in the morning? Why do you even care about the federation? Compassion is an emotion. A duty is related to emotion. You you can't take out emotion from from life. To me, if you really had no emotion, that's basically yeah. depression. You're you're numb. You don't have any thoughts. You don't have any motivation. Well, I, it's, I was about to say. So if you if you'll remember why they had to get the R two D two unit instead of the other R two unit is because that R two unit had a bad motivator. <laughs> so in that in that universe, the the droids need a motivator unit. Yeah, and without the motivator unit, they can't function. Right. But we are what you're pointing at is we're very much like this. Right. That you, but it's just how you define it. If you're just thinking of emotions as like passionate pleas for right. things, as opposed to just like it's time to get up today. Right. Why? Yeah. The practice of trying to not act from emotion that you don't like is is a, is one way we could say Spock is. But he clearly cares like there's this one there's this one episode where he is stuck between a rock and another rock and he's telling the away crew to get on the shuttle and and take off and leave him behind and he he's saying it's illogical leave me behind if you if you come back for me we're all gonna die and they the crew decides to come back and save him similar to the last movie right and and they save Spock and they're flying away and then they discover they might all die because they waited and they saved Spock. And Spock is chastising them and saying, you should have left me. I told you to leave me. It's illogical that you went and got me. It's So in this moment, he's, in my book, being emotional. Because he's, he's saying, well, yeah, I see what you're saying. He's so disappointed, one. Two, yeah. he has compassion for their lives and yeah. he's upset. He's angry yeah. at them. Yeah. He's not flailing his arms yeah. and he's not pounding fists. But it's funny because you could you're absolutely right about the upset and things like that. But you could say maybe he's pedantically upset like listen, the equation is very simple. But why would you <laughs> but okay, but why would you care about that? Cuz the if, equation. <laughs> if you truly had no emotions, you would just sit there like a uh, like a rock observing the world, you know. If you're Spock and you're you got your your foot stuck and you're observing these crew members coming to save you, you you might mention to them, but even just mentioning to them requires compassion. Like by the way, if you save me, you might all die. It, it, if you truly had no emotion, then you wouldn't care either way. Yeah. Again, it, it does depend on how far you define emotion. For example, let me ask you a question: Would you say that a plant has emotions? 
No. Okay. But but plants do have motivating uh, behaviors because no, it, they try to aim towards the sun. They, they don't try, try to aim. Their biology uh, reacts same, in a way. Same thing. Like yeah. the, their corpus ends up doing things that proceed to extend But you need a life. consciousness to have emotion. Well, oh, no. Okay. Well, then – but so there's where it gets a little tricky. So at which point does consciousness begin? Like does an ant have emotions? Uh, I would say, according to my definition of emotion, yes. There's no way to know, right. but but yeah, they but, they but probably I, I get would, okay. upset or and they probably feel pleasure. Okay, but I would say that for practical purposes, way after an ant, even maybe a lion, I would say that's an emotionless being by human standards. It doesn't mean they don't have. There, there's not other ways in which you can define what an emotion cl- like actually means neurologically. I'm just saying that, look, a lion just goes about its business. Sure, if the cubs are threatened and it's its only pride or whatever the hell, maybe it springs into action, battles unemotionally, quote unquote, by human standards, because they certainly don't like – anyways. And, and then the point is they go about their business. They wake up. They eat. They sleep. They eat. They sleep. They eat. They sleep. But – Eating and sleeping is still motivated by emotion. I know, but I'm, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm, I'm setting a different standard, a higher standard for what we would practically mean well, about emotion. I think it's just a matter of categorization. It's not practicality you're talking about. It's a matter of categorization. You are and Spock and I think others categorize emotion as basically female stuff, no. like love no, no, no. and crying. No, 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 no. And those no. Are, that's a, like people will say, I'm "Oh, I'm being that. emotional. I'm being emotional." Mean, no. meaning they're crying. I think, and I think a lot of other people do, that emotion and thinking are one thing. You well, know? I, I, I'm, I'm actually, but I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, I, if, if it sounds like that, that's not what I'm doing. Like, if I made a robot that could act like a, like a feline, or meaning that level of, of uh, quote unquote intellect, where it can feed itself, it can go to sleep and wake up and seek energy sources and kind of protect its limb from getting chopped off. Um, and then we said, guys, I've done it. It's, it's an emotional being. I think a lot of people. A lot of people, not necessarily scientists, but a lot of people would say that doesn't that doesn't have emotions. It doesn't it doesn't uh, care about the sunrise, or it doesn't care if um, if you're if you're basically speaking softly or loudly, other than whether or not the ears hurting or something. Like what but, I'm saying is, but does it care about eating? Yeah, but but again, you but you can define. Does it like to but, eat? But this is why I was saying the plant example. I could define emotions all the way down to a rock if I wanted to. But I'm setting a standard just so that I can say data initially didn't have the kind of standard of emotion that I'm setting yeah. and well, later da- developed da- it. Data is a little weird because – and I even hesitated to include him in this discussion. Yeah. But Spock and clearly the other Vulcans that yeah. are portrayed, they have tons of emotions. Yeah. And I think they would claim that they don't have emotions. They just try to suppress them. That they, they have emotions, but they try to suppress them. Right. Yeah. And, and with Spock, I think that even when he claims he's suppressing his emotion, I think it's clear that he's not. Like when him and Bones are going back and forth and, you know, making fun of each other, right there, you know, it's like if Spock were truly being logical he probably wouldn't respond to Bones because Bones will be saying something silly and Spock will say something clever. Why would you say something clever? There's no logic to that. 
And well, well, and actually, this is interesting. Um, if we could actually build a perfectly logical system, but but if we define perfectly logical as it took in all the inputs from its surroundings and considered all the possible outcomes, first of all, such a machine is impossible because it is an infinite combinatorics uh, problem, right? But even if you could, right, what the output would be would seem to an outside observer extremely random and emotional because what would happen is you'd have this machine, a a butterfly flies past, and the machine quickly does this motion where it tweaks a rock. And you're like, what the hell? This thing's got weird issues. But it had computed physics in billions of moves ahead that turns out that by doing that, it got two, two more micrograms of calcium that extended its life by two nanoseconds 30 years from now. And that's the outcome of a perfectly logical system. But to an outside observer, by the time it gets that complex, it's not going to seem logical at all. Right. It's gonna, and so humans actually are very logic-driven in their heads. It's just that the kind of logic that we're doing is is so influenced by myriads of inputs and outputs. Yeah. So you're saying, you know, why did he grimace? That had no logical purpose. No, actually it did in the guy's head because he was thinking he could gain a little bit of an advantage emotionally. But, but why does guy. he care about like, advantage? Because because part of his, uh, other part of his brain is like, if I don't have advantage, I don't get food in three days. You know, like it all could be reduced to very, very, very complex layers. At, and on some level, quote unquote, logic. you have to care about something. Yeah. Again, if you talk to yeah. people yeah, who truly fine. have no emotion, they there are people they that can. are like that that are depressed. They they wake up in the morning and they have nothing. They have they don't feel anything. Yeah, but they still eat. They don't eat. Well, sometimes they, they breathe. They still breathe. They they involuntarily because no. they the part of their brain is breathing. It's you get my point. I do. I I totally do. And to be I, to be truly point. emotionless is to be inert, because emotion is not a separate thing from human consciousness. Emotion is is a way of describing consciousness, in in my opinion. And you know, we of course philosophers talk about this all the time, and you and I are not necessarily versed in all the different philosophies. So to some extent, we're talking out of our ass. And as one patron said to me, ass talking is fun. So she appreciates our ass talking. <laughs> well, I mean... So, but, but anyway, yeah. my, my point is, is that when I watch Spock, I actually see emotion almost every time he talks. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree that it's from the very beginning. Um in fact, the only thing I disagree with is the de- the 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 way we're using the word emotion. It, it can vary wildly. Right. That's the only thing. Right. And so, if he redefined it as I I enjoy having some emotions, yeah, to a certain degree and manifesting them in a particular way, but the way that some people manifest them, like you humans tend to prefer. I actually don't like that because yeah. it because it doesn't actually help me or those around me. Right. When I get angry and <laughs> smash someone in the face because they bumped me, that doesn't help the greater good of humanity or of you know the galaxy. And I emotionally want to make the galaxy a better place for everybody. Yeah. 
if he would have said that, yeah. <laughs> then that would have been more accurate to me. And and I think better for watchers because yeah. that would have delineated, I think, what are helpful emotions and altruistic emotions and compassionate emo- emotions and very useful emotions as opposed to bad decision-making regarding emotions. Like you could, you could say, you could narrow it down to stuff like this. Look, you know those moments where you have to make a decision and you still put your needs in the middle and so like the decision comes out somewhat affecting you, right? Like for example, let's say you were deciding a case in your part of the jury or maybe the judge or something and you stand to gain in some way, well, then that's called a conflict of interest, right? But in reality, like in practice, that happens all the time and it's very subtle. So if somehow you had the ability, because either you're a Vulcan or a robot or you've trained with meditation, whatever, if you somehow had the ability to as much as possible suppress any sort of bias and any sort of conflict of interest and stuff like that in your decision making, well, that would be pretty powerful. Right. It'd be hard to prove, and sometimes it might seem like you did and you didn't, but still, it'd and, be powerful. And you would still have to be emotionally attached mm-hmm. to particular principles right. that guide your behavior. Like, in fact, including the one of, I'm going to be this way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, you would, pretend, you would either be inert or you'd be a chaotic nihilist who just kills randomly because there's no point to anything, do you know? And so... Um, actually, that this is okay. You'd so, have to have some attachment to to some principle, you know, that yeah. was guided by emotion. I, I was gonna say though, like, you did you read The Watchmen? No, I did not. Or what? Did you watch the movie? Yes. Okay. So the the main bad guy, Andrew Voigt, Voigt, yeah. Voigt. Yeah. Um, he tends to be hyper logical. Right. And so what happens is, from the outside looking in, you're like, well, he's a monster, right? right? But he'll explain to you like, well. Do the math with me, and if right. you follow the steps, turns out I, I'm not, quote-unquote, a monster. Right. Now, but a lot of people would still say, oh, you're still a monster. Well, there's a real-life example when Eisenhower dropped the bomb. Eisenhower? Right. No, not Eisenhower. Uh, Truman dropped the bomb on Hir- uh, right, uh, Hiroshima right. and Nagasaki. Today, a lot of people consider him a monster. In the media, when they talk about it, it's often portrayed as a mistake, as America being America and just stomping all over the innocent people because Japan today is seen as this fun-loving, you know, cutesy Sanrio uh, fantasy land that doesn't even have its own army, which I think it does now. But anyway, but at the time, it was exactly the Watchmen dilemma, which was if we don't drop the bomb more, 10, 20, 30 times more people will die in a in a landing of the main island of Japan. Uh, mostly Japanese people will die. You know, it'll, it'll, the estimates were, I don't know, in the millions of Japanese people dying. And that was not an overestimation. The fanaticism that dominated the Japanese people during World War II dictated and was demonstrated time and again that they all fought to the death, including women and children, would commit suicide because of the disgrace or their worry that Americans would do bad things to them when they wouldn't. 
and their loyalty to the emperor, which which was God on Earth. Yeah. And people don't necessarily remember that. I'm a Japanese person. I obviously want to care about the Japanese people. Yeah. But, and I'm not going to say it was right to drop the bomb, but there was a logic to it yeah. that you cannot deny. And so I don't know if it was the right decision, but... So that, there's an example of where, like, one could imagine a type of leader or person that's like more like House or Sherlock Holmes, who right. sits there and goes... Without hesitation, they say, Mr. President, here's the deal. Blah, 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 blah. We could drop a nuke or this. And oh, yeah. Drop the nuke. Press the button. Right. And so, then, so, so that's, to a lot of people, it seemed like, whoa, you got no emotions. Right. You, you're logical. But that's actually a product of emotion to care about the math. Right. It's just that for common – the way that people use the word, not, not scientists or, yeah. or, or doctors and things, the way that people use the word definitely – the common person isn't like that. Right. The common person agreed. Everyone is emotional. The common person wears emotions it, on their nose and ears right. and sleeves uh, and everything. Maybe Spock, a different word, or maybe even this is what they meant by emotion, was gut instinct in spite of yourself or something. You know, like it's your gut instinct to not drop the bomb. But when you really think about it, it's actually. A, a compassionate act to drop the bomb. That's the way they thought. Now, again, I'm not saying I don't want to, you know, listeners to, to start debating me on these, this issue because it is com complicated and there might've been other things Truman could have done. We'll never know. But the point is, is we're talking about emotion versus logic and sometime. And to me, when it comes to human decision-making, you can't be without emotion. It, Otherwise, you would act either very strangely or you wouldn't do anything at all. Yeah, I, I think we just need a different word because it wouldn't be useful for – like if Dr. House was a real person and we were all trying to talk about him, we couldn't all say, oh, he's totally normal, quote unquote, because most of us would say, dude, that guy, he's like emotionless. But of course he's not emotionless in many definitions of the word. I think what we mean is – that guy only acts on medical logic when he's making decisions about the patients. And then in reality, of course, there's more subtlety to it. But there's clearly something we're describing that is outside of the bell curve of the norm. Right. Most what, what would happen is most doctors would be like, oh, I could prescribe you this, but I probably shouldn't. Cause, so maybe one way to look at it is they can make decisions quickly without spending too much time debating or, uh, or being bogged down bogged by, down by social yeah. niceties. And they take themselves out of the equation. Yeah. They're, they don't stand to gain or lose, right? For, for the most part and whatnot. So Vulcans seemingly exhibit this more so. Yeah. And data maybe a little more so. Right. But to your point. And, and da so data clearly cared yeah. about. Uh, yeah. Well, you could say it was programmed to yeah. be that way. No, but that's fine. Yeah. So to your point. It's if you if you meant it as literally, they feel. No, I can't even do a voice that's such a voice. There is no such thing as what they meant, like what it sounded like. Right. right, right. Vulcans clearly do care right. about certain things, so you don't even have to go back down to the plants examples or the lions. Right. Just by human standards, Vulcans cared. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Just a few last little things here. The times in the '60s were fraught with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of chaos. You 
had assassinations of MLK, JFK, Bobby Kennedy. There were race riots. You had Charlie Manson in the late 60s, early 70s. You had Malcolm X being uh, rising in power, which freaked out white people, and then he was he was murdered. He had the Vietnam War. He had murder of Medgar Evers, nuclear weapons, Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the seemingly you know downfall of society, hippie movements, and like rock and roll going off the rails, and like you know satanic music and drugs. The sixties were a very scary time for people. To us, it looks quaint. It's like oh yeah, Vietnam War, like big deal, but. To, the Wonder to, Years. To, to, yeah, the Wonder Years. To, to people back then, it was frightening. It was terrifying. You, you know, it's, it's uh, very interesting. When I watched Mad Men, yeah. was the first time I realized that. Yeah. Even though Mad Men, ironically, shows you like this like highfalutin lifestyle in, in New York and stuff. Yeah. But, but you see these little windows of everything that starts happening in the 60s. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I grew up in Colombia during a very... T- turbulent time the the 80s which was horrible you know and i always thought of like america's always so stable and everything's always but when i watched that i was like oh my god imagine your president just got assassinated your president president the president of the united states right and like the civil leader and then the president's brother and then you're in a war that can't be won and like and so i was like oh my god there was and then riots like crazy riots yeah crazy riots. so the only thing that i could come up with why maybe well first of all i was in a foreign country so it it looked from the distance the 80s in the in the in the u.s looked great right and and they were and they were compared to the 60s but even in the 60s i think one of the things is the country is very big yeah and so um maybe that was one of the things that helped soften like the the damage is because it's such a big country with so many people whereas when you have some of these smaller, like Colombia is small, but there's even smaller countries that are constantly inflicted by war. Yeah. So imagine if Seattle was always yeah. with riots and bombs and war, and that's where you live. Yeah. That, that's like why I think some of these other places seem constantly, but the 60s were crazy. Right. And the, it can't be understood by us today how scary it was. Uh, the the little glimpse I have into it was in the seventies. We would, you know, in the same way that we would have fire drills, we would have nuclear nuclear nuclear. We we would have nuclear 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 nuclear. We would have atom bomb drills <laughs> by Atom-tum. by getting under our desks. Yeah, and. Imagine that, right? In the 60s, it was worse because it was just assumed that right. at some point the, the Soviets and the United States were, they were going to bomb each other. It was, just, right. it was just a matter of time. And Wo- it nearly happened. <laughs> World War I happened, and then World War II happened, and of course, World War III, it's, it's just a matter of time. When, you know, and so when it happens, get under your desk, and, <laughs> and, and it, was, it was terrifying. Get and, under your desk. And the thing about... Uh, World War Three, it was very much understood that it wasn't going to be fought by soldiers in the theater of war. It was going to be essentially half the world was going to blow up. Yeah. And in the middle of Indiana, a missile would come out of the sky and annihilate you. Yeah. And that that was in, in the 80s. I remember even then, it was a foregone conclusion that that was going to happen. And younger people today have 
no idea just how terrifying that was. Today, it's like, oh, terrorism, it might hurt us, but it was nothing like complete uh, human annihilation the way that I just assumed it would it would eventually right, happen. Right, And so the 60s, it had all this stuff. And so now uh, Star Trek comes along where we've 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 fast forwarded the VHS tape to yeah. uh 2250 or you whatever survived. <laughs> we survived we we had world war 3 and we got through it and look at we're all oh, getting is that in the backstory of Star I think Trek? they have a war in there I think they refer to like you know, world war 3 in the 80s or 90s or something then there was the they had the clone wars right with Rathacon or there something were clone wars yeah, they had the clone. Oh my god, all the people are going to hate us. But anyway, yeah, like they created Rathacon guy in the past to fight. Anyway, the point is, is <laughs> and then they froze them and they went out into this. We should space. have an episode about Star Trek sometime. <laughs> yeah. And so in the '60s, right in smack in the middle, '66, '69, there's a show where it says we got through it, not only as a country but as a as a planet. Yeah. And look how far we've come, and look how logical we are, and we have science behind us, and we're exploring the galaxy. Right. We're we're not just exploiting; we're actually just altruistically exploring. We've eliminated money. Everyone's happy. Disease has been eliminated. Let's 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 look at where we're where we're headed. You know, logic and cooperation, and you know, everything got us there. And it was an escape, and it provided a fantasy for us. It's a, it's a defense mechanism to fall into fantasy when we're in pain. Right. And as a country, the Western world, we were in pain, we were terrified, and we fell into this fantasy, maybe even the reruns in the 70s as well, as a way of escaping that pain. Does that make sense? Yeah. Also, uh, last two uh, defense mechanisms that I can identify that were highly present in the Star Trek original series was displacement. We hated bullies as children, all of us. We also hated the Soviets, and we also hated brown people. No offense, Berto and me. Uh, And the Klingons provided uh, a a race of people we could displace our anger onto safely. We We can't openly be racist against Asians or against black people or Hispanics, but the Klingons. We can hate the Klingons. We can hate the Klingons because they're they're baddies. They're in in space and they don't even exist. And so it's a, we we hated uh, minorities. We hated bullies. We hated Soviets. And so Klingons were a, a good target for the displacement of our anger and our rage. And then regression for many children in the 1960s. Watching the show provided a comforting regression back to uh, so you know if, uh, for kids that grew up in the '60s they watched the show, and then in the '80s, '90s, you know, and beyond they can rewatch that mm. show or even watch the other iterations of as a way of regressing to an earlier time. Like yeah. when you started watching old Twilight Zone episodes. Right you might have been trying to regress to comfort yourself. There's nothing wrong with regression. There's nothing wrong with displacement or internalization. It's, it's just noticeable right. that you might have been suffering at the time and trying to return to a more comforting, more dependent Twilight time. Zone. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a way to regress. <laughs> right. Or Star Trek. But yeah. when we return to these old things of nostalgia, 
it could be a clue that we're actually suffering interpersonally at our job and our marriage in life. And it's okay to regress if that helps, but perhaps looking at the broader picture of our lives and wondering, is there another more direct way that I can assuage my stress? Maybe by going to my spouse or going to my boss or whatever. Um, Are you saying that when I watch Flintstones in diapers, is that regression? Goo goo gaga. That does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Again, if you listen to this entire episode and I made a mistake, which I know, <laughs> I d- which I know that I did, and you feel like commenting on it, uh, sandwich it in between about uh, nine or ten compliments, and then I will be okay with it. Anything short of that, again, you can fuck off. <laughs> Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because live long and prosper.